Turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel. We continue our our study in uh, this great book. We have the privilege of viewing in our mind's eye the events that led up to the introduction of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verses 19 through 23. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Through verse 34, we have the testimony of John the Baptist. And beginning at verse 19 of this passage, we have the first week of the ministry of, of the Lord Jesus. It was not yet his public ministry, but it was more like a private ministry that was ongoing. There's seven days total in this uh, passage leading up to the wedding in Cana, which launched his public ministry. We have day one, the confession of John, denying that he was uh, the Christ, or any person for that matter, with any notoriety. Day two, we, have, we, see, John, we see John as the forerunner who identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God in verses 29 to 34. Day three, we see two of John's disciples leave him and follow after Jesus. Day four, one of those disciples who followed Jesus went and found his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus in verses 40 to 42. On day five, Jesus calls Philip. Philip finds Nathanael and brings him to Jesus in verses 43 to 51. In day six, day six was a a day of travel to Galilee. And then day seven, we see the public ministry of Jesus begins with the miracle of the wine at the wedding in Cana. We have to understand that up until this point, there had been no word from God over the course of 400 years. No prophet. God was silent. The Pharisees and the Jewish and the Sadducees with their Jewish system 
had put in place all kinds of laws and rules and regulations that choked, literally choked the life out of the people. Everything that they knew centered around this legal religious system that they had established. And all of a sudden, out of the wilderness comes a man dressed in camel hair, eating wild locusts, and eating locusts and wild honey, preaching a message that had not been heard since the prophets. It was a message of repentance of sin and obedience to God. And so people began to flock to hear him. And many, many people confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan. Word of this reached the Pharisees and they sent an entourage to the Jordan River just outside of Bethany where John was preaching to investigate. This entourage would have heard John's voice. They would have heard his message. They would have listened. They would have watched as he baptized people. And so, having been sent to find out what was going on and who this strange character dressed in a camel hair outfit and a belt around his waist and living this, he must have looked like a, what we would call a mountain man. So they asked him, who are you? He immediately surmised that they were seeking some end-time answer, some eschatological answer as to who he was. And so he said, without being asked, I am not the Messiah. They thought, possibly in their minds, could this be the Messiah? I mean, a pretty, uh, a pretty poor candidate from the eye view. And yet, there was great power in his words. And so they asked him, and he denied very quickly that he was the Christ. Didn't, didn't even get to ask him, are you the Messiah? He just plainly states, I am not the Christ. And so they continued to probe as to who he might be eschatologically, as with regard to the end times. So now that brings us to their question in verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. First name that appears on the list of who they think this guy might be is Elijah. Now, why Elijah? These priests expected that the Messiah would be preceded by Elijah, as did all the Jews. 
They anticipated that the real Elijah would return bodily just before the Messiah came to establish his kingdom. And so, they, and the reason they thought that is because they saw themselves as the main part of that kingdom. The Jews. The kingdom was for them. And so this was all based upon the prophecies that were made from the book of Malachi. Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Malachi 3.1 Also in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. <clears throat> and so they anticipated Elijah would come. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> The general expectation of Elijah returning was was a common thing among the Jews. For example, turn with me to to, uh, Matthew chapter 16 quickly. Matthew 16. Jesus is walking with his disciples, as he often did along the roads, and he asked them this question as they came into Caesarea Philippi. He said, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, some say John the Baptist. Now remember, at that point, John was dead. And when Jesus began his public ministry, Many people thought that John had been resurrected. Even King Herod thought that he had been resurrected. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. If you remember back a few years ago, we had uh, we had a, a fellow come in from uh, the, the uh, Jews for Jesus group and he did a Seder a Seder meal uh, a Passover meal for us here and showed us all about it if you remember uh, there was an empty chair brought up set at the table that chair was for Elijah the Jews still believe that Elijah will come bodily before the Messiah appears but to these Jewish priests the striking resemblances to the description of Elijah were something that could not be overlooked. 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 8. This is the section when King Ahaziah sent messengers to inquire about his sickness. He fell sick and he sent messengers to inquire 
of Beelzebub, the false god of the of Ekron, of whether or not he would live or survive. Elijah sent message by God to prophesy against him. The Lord came to Elijah and said, go prophesy against him. Tell him he, he's doomed. He's going to die on his bed. And so the messengers, when they were coming, met Elijah. And Elijah chastised them and sent them back to the king. When they got back to the king, the king said, why are you back? Did you... Did you not go to inquire of the God of Ekron? And they said, we met a man on the way. This is their answer. He wore a garment of hair, a belt about of leather about his waist. And he said, the king said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. They all knew who Elijah was. They knew who he was just from a recognition of what his his clothing looked like. When you compare that to Mark chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt and around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. Pretty much the same description as Elijah. So not only his appearance led them to ask this question. But also, his message was like that of Elijah of old. Speaking to King Ahab, Elijah says, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, this is Elijah speaking, but you have and your father's house Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord to follow the Baals. Elijah was not afraid to confront the king about his sin. In 1 Kings 18 verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Chapter 21. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he was going to take possession. And you will say to him, thus says the Lord, you have killed and taken possession. Or have you killed and taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place, in this place, the dogs, where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick your own blood. Can you imagine saying things like that to an official who had the power to put you to death? And yet, Elijah said it. That goes on all the way. Jezebel, he prophesies against Jezebel as well. And it all came true. All came true. One can see why these officials that came from the Pharisees would have 
would have thought that John was actually Elijah. Matthew chapter 3 verse 10. Now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. Oh, they would have gotten that message clearly. The Messiah is here. And He's coming. And He's not going to be playing around. He's going to gather His people into His to Him. And He's going to take the chaff and burn it. And you're the chaff. His appearance, His preaching, His warning of judgment to come... All calls them to ask, are you Elijah? He plainly responds, I am not. Now, it's interesting and it should be known that the scripture never says that John was actually Elijah. But that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Listen to uh, Luke chapter, and we see that, of course, in 2 Kings 2, where Elijah's power. But listen to Luke 1 at 117. This is the angel speaking to uh, Zechariah, John's father. It said, the angel said, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is this was John's task. He wasn't Elijah in the flesh. But he was Elijah in spirit. He was Elijah in the fact that he looked like him. He lived like him. He dressed like him. He spoke like him. And this is what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus said that John was Elijah. He wasn't saying that John was actually Elijah in the flesh. He was saying that John was there in like Elijah would have been there. It's interesting, too, that John never considered himself to be Elijah. Would you, wouldn't you think that if they asked him the plain question, are you Elijah, and he would have been Elijah, he would have said, yes, I am, instead of no, I'm not. No man, Leon Morris writes, no man is what he is in his own eyes. He really is only as he is known to God. Think about that statement for a moment. We think about ourselves in lots of ways. Sometimes ways that we shouldn't. 
But we don't even know sometimes how we think about ourselves unless we are thinking about ourselves the way God thinks about us. Because that's how we really are. At a later time, Jesus equated John with the Elijah of Malachi's prophecy. But that does not carry with it the implication that John himself was aware of the true position. Jesus confers on John his true significance. No man is what he thinks, what he, what he himself thinks he is. He is only what Jesus knows him to be. Now in the future, from our time, in the future, there will be witnesses coming to introduce the Messiah. These witnesses will introduce him to the Jewish nation and the Jewish nation will believe and be saved. Elijah could possibly be one of these two witnesses. They're found in Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 19. They have supernatural powers. They preach a supernatural message. Paul speaks about the salvation of Israel in Romans chapter 11. I'd like for you to turn there. Follow with me for a few verses because I'm going to tie this together before we go to the next statement in in the passage of chapter 1. Romans chapter 11. Notice Paul Paul begins this, this portion with a question. <clears throat> I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected Israel? Why is, why is Israel, if they are the chosen people of God, and they are, why, has, why are they not saved? Paul expounds upon this, and he says in verse 2, God has not rejected his people which he, for whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scripture says, what the scripture says of Elijah? Why would Paul bring up Elijah's name? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what did God say to him? I have kept you. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. You get that? A remnant. God always has a remnant. He always has and He always will. Until the very last day that the gospel is preached from the heavens and and the last soul to repent and be saved, God will always have a remnant of people. We are a part of the remnant of the earth. Today, Jewish people who are messianic, who receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah, who believe in Him as their Christ, 
those people are part of this remnant that John, that Paul is speaking of. So too, that at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? He asked. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened. Those that God had chosen obtained it. The rest he hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. You can see it. If you ever talk to Jewish people, about Christ, I mean people who were raised in Jewish homes, who, who were raised as Jews, particularly Orthodox Jews, you can see it when you talk to them. They believe in a Messiah, but they don't believe Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah. Why is that? Because God has blinded their eyes to this very day. Drop down to verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? It means that this hardening of the Jewish people not being able to see Because they will not, not being able to hear because they will not hear, has been placed on them by God until the fullness of the Gentiles, which means that God's plan for the future and the Gentile nations is fulfilled. That will take place during the tribulation. Notice what he says again in verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God hasn't abandoned Israel. Elijah will still come. We'll look at that, we'll look at that a little further here in just a few moments. Notice the next phrase. They asked him, are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Well, was John a prophet? Yes. In fact, Jesus said he was the greatest of all the prophets. There hadn't been a prophet for 400 years and now all of a sudden there is one and the people didn't know what to do with him. The religious leaders, that is. All of the, out of all of the Old Testament prophets, how are we supposed to know which one he is talking about? Because the Jewish priest knew of the prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy 18. 
And this is what it says. The Lord your God will raise up. This is Moses speaking to the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you will listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord our God or see the great fire any more lest we die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them to all all that I command him. Do you remember what Jesus said about what he spoke? I, I speak what, I, what the Father speaks to me. I do all that the Father tells me to do or shows me to do. The Jewish people, however, did not know who this person who would the prophet to come would be. They only knew that he would be like Moses, a leader, a deliverer, a worker of miracles. There was divided opinion as to who the prophet would be. Some thought it would be Jeremiah. Others, one of the other Old Testament prophets, resurrected. There were some who thought that this prophet would indeed be the Messiah. Now, when the people saw and heard Jesus, they acknowledged their belief that he was that prophet. Many of them said so. John chapter 6, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. John chapter 7, verse 40. When they heard his words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Now we know he was the prophet. We know it's not talking about John coming as the prophet. John plainly says he was not the prophet. Who was the prophet? The prophet was Jesus. We know that because Peter and Stephen... Both attested to it, citing Deuteronomy 18. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Peter's sermon in, in the temple on the Solomon's portico after he had healed the crippled man, if you recall. I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. Take up your bed and walk. And the man stood up. Caused quite a stir. Can't you, can't you imagine people gathering around? And now the Jewish leaders are seeing this crowd. And they come out and now listen to Peter's words. Verse 22 and 3. Peter says, Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. And he went on and preached to them Jesus. Chapter 7. We see the sermon that Stephen 
preached just before he was stoned to death. He says in verse 35, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You stiff-necked, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And he preached to them Jesus. And after all this, John simply says to their question, Are you the prophet? No. Not the prophet. They're starting to get a little hot under the collar about now. They're getting impatient. And so they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourselves? And if you get nothing else this morning, please get this. They are demanding an answer from him. And you can hear their frustration. You can hear their confusion in their voices. But what we get in this is a real glimpse of the character of John the Baptist. Who are you? We have to tell our those that sent us who you are. What do you say about yourself? Now, if you ask that question to most people, you get a long discourse on who they are, where they came from, and what they've accomplished in their lives. Not so with John. He made no effort to advance himself or to shine a light on his own ministry or his own work or even himself. He had no, he had no desire to elevate himself or puff himself up or feel proud about what he'd done. None of that. We see John in the greatest of humility, and in the least of human pride. Was this the reason that Jesus said He was the greatest human being to ever live? This certainly lines up with what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, wouldn't you think, can't you just read their minds? What are they, what are they actually saying? Am I, am I one of the great ones? Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so if you want to be great, Become nothing. 
become a person that people don't even pay attention to. Become someone who just serves others and takes no glory or elevation for themselves. They won't receive any of that for themselves. They always give it away to someone else. John exudes humility here. Think of what he could have boasted about. What do you say for yourself? Uh, Look around. I've got thousands of followers. I've baptized hundreds of people. I've got people who are my converts. I have a band of disciples following me. He didn't say any of that. He could have, but he didn't. Because he was one of the great ones of the kingdom. And so he answers them the best way anyone can answer anything. And that's with the word of God. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Wow. Isaiah 40 verse 3. He's quoting Isaiah 40 verse 3. And John applies it to himself. He simply stated. Now get this. I'm not a, I'm not a great preacher. I'm not a great baptizer. I'm not a great leader. I don't have fine things. I have nothing to give really to anyone. I'm just a voice. That's all. No more, no less. Just a voice. In other words, he's saying, I'm a nobody. I am not important. I am just a voice. Now we can look back on this and we can say, certainly John was important. Certainly John had the highest position of ministry of anyone that ever lived. He introduced the Messiah to the Jewish nation and to the world. But that's our vantage point. It was not his vantage point. I'm just a little voice crying in the wilderness. He was the voice of God's prophet. He voiced God's words. And, my, and, and as a matter of fact, this quotation from Isaiah 40 that John uses is found in all of the Gospels. Now, that wasn't the answer that they wanted to hear. For they had to report to the Pharisees something positive. And they, at this point, they had nothing to report that was positive. Who is he? Well, he's, he's, a, he's a great prophet. No, no, he said he wasn't. Oh, he's, he's, he must be Elijah. No, he said he wasn't Elijah either. Well, what did he say about himself? Nothing, just a voice. 
Wouldn't you think they'd put the scriptures together? They didn't. I think this statement that John gives is sort of a warning. Sort of a a command to repent and make way in their hearts for the Messiah who was already on the scene. The figure here is that of a king, an ancient king who would go to visit villages in his realm and he would send out his, his servants to clear the way for him to come. And they would fill in the holes and they would, they would tear, they would scoop off the high places so that he had a level path to follow going into his villages of, the villages of his kingdom. And they would cry out as they came, the king is coming. The king is coming. Get ready. And the people would spruce up their villages and they would gather along the sides of the road as the king came through. We see somewhat of that figure in the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But it didn't last. So many people need a John in their lives today. Someone someone who can say to them, Make ready. Make ready. The Lord is coming. You do not want to be found wanting. And there are so many people that have such debris and such trash in their lives. There are mountains of sin and rebellion to be cleared away. So that the Messiah, so that the Lord can come into their lives. There are pits and potholes of sinful lifestyle. And the only way the king can enter is if such blockage is removed. And it can only be removed by personal repentance of sin. And so like John, we have this message of reconciliation that tells people, repent, for the Lord is coming. Fill in the potholes. Tear down the high places in your life. And get ready for the Messiah to come to you. And when they repent, all of the hindrances, all of the stumbling blocks roll away and the Lord Jesus takes up His residence as Lord and as King. So I ask... What are the obstructions in your life? What are the potholes and the what are the the hills? Even as Christians, many times we allow them to gather, do we not? Fill them in. Shovel them down. Make it straight so that the Lord has His way in your life and in mine. John was that kind of man. I pray that we will be like him.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you that we are able to gather and sing praises to your name, that we are able to open your book and and learn from it, see what it is you require of us, and then put that into practice through the power of your Spirit. Lord, we are nothing. You are everything. We have no words of our own to voice or to say that will make any difference whatsoever in the eternal lives of people. But you do. And so I pray that we would use your words. They are appropriate for every situation. Every need. So we pray that you would use us in that way. Help us. Cause us to be more like John. Humble. Taking no credit for ourselves. But giving all of the glory where it belongs. To the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord. And our Savior. And our Sovereign King. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So glad you.